and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast hosted by Amy Baker. The Riff Raff is a writer's community that champions the work of debut authors and provides guidance, support and services for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Happy New Year! Welcome back to the Riff Raff podcast. I hope you all had wonderful festive seasons and that your Januaries are all going swimmingly. Uh, on this month's podcast, I'm chatting to Elle Nash, author of Animals Eat Each Other, a story about a woman with no name who embarks on a fraught three-way relationship with Matt, a tattoo artist, and his girlfriend Frances, a new mum. Animals Eat Each Other has been described as edgy erotic fiction and as a complex and impressive psychological exploration of obsession and desire. I chat to Elle about writing without judgment of your characters, giving yourself space for those magical epiphanies to occur, and using universal experiences to communicate feelings your readers may not have felt. Hi Elle, welcome to the Riff Raff Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Um, so yeah, let's kick things off with a little intro to your debut novel, Animals Eat Each Other. Sure. Um, so my novel is about a 19-year-old who, she has just graduated high school and she doesn't really know what she wants to do with her life. Um, and she ends up meeting this couple with a kid at her place of work who they're friends with one of her friends and they express interest in dating her so her with nothing to do over the summer decides to just explore what that would be like um and the boyfriend is a satanist and a tattoo artist and the girlfriend is contending with being a new mom um, and they just sort of navigate the power dynamics that occur in a relationship that exists between three people at once. So and it all goes terribly wrong for them. <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> um, so can you, can you talk a little bit about how the idea came to you and um, the sort of how long, how long it took you to write? Sure. Um, I was doing this online workshop with this poet uh, who it was sort of it was a little bit like a master fine art style workshop where every month we had pages due, you know, and then she would critique them and we critique other people. And this was just a short story um, for a while. But as I kept unpacking it, um, I took the project to another mentor um, another writer named Tom Spandauer, and he encouraged me to just keep expanding it as much as I could. Like, part of, for, for him, part of the drive was, like, I want more detail. You know, I want to know more about um, the senses um, and, you know, try to, he really tried to get me to explore the emotional side of the story, which wasn't really there at first. So I just kept expanding it and expanding it, and eventually um, it was a novel. Like, it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. So um, I think overall it took me about two to three years from beginning to end to really have a complete book. Um, And I think the whole process, even just going through, like, the publishing process and all that has taken about two extra years. So it's, like, five years from, I think, beginning to seeing it out in the world. It's interesting that you say that it started life as a short story because one thing that I particularly admired about the book was how pared down it is. Like, not necessarily pared down, but just, you know, it's it's so... um, it's stripped down, you know. You it, there's there's no, it's not a it's not a long book. Mm. Yeah, and, and there's there's incredible clarity to your writing that I 
salute. And it's um, that sort of stripped down prose is a thing that a lot of writers aspire to. I know I certainly do. Um, is that something that kind of came via the short story process? Is that something that came naturally to you, that, that sort of really stripped down writing? Yeah, actually, it's really interesting you say that. Um, I think that I gleaned a lot of that from uh, my mentor, Tom. He was a student of the famous editor Gordon Lish, um, who's an American editor, and who sort of pioneered this school of fiction writing, I guess you'd call minimalism. Mm-hmm. And um, they, I don't think, I mean, I love the idea of it. I don't know. I kind of like fell into it. It wasn't that I was uh, purposely like seeking it out per se, but at the same time, I found the tools of that school of fiction writing to be very useful. The idea is that you just, you kind of try to keep um, the, the they call it purple prose to a minimum, which is that sort of the poetry things. Like you try not to use too many metaphors. You try to be very literal. And one of the reasons why uh, they do that and why I like to do that is because when you do that, when you pull back the metaphors and you just have, say, like one really strong metaphor, like in a short story, for example, the emotional impact of it is so much more intense for the reader, I feel. And then um, they also recommend spending a lot of time writing, like without judgment of the characters, because we, I really like, for me personally, I like to encourage the reader to make their own decisions and come to their own conclusions about the characters because that creates more of an emotional connection too. So um, that's definitely, thank you for noticing that. I really appreciate it. I do think it's it's still a struggle for me to make sure that I'm writing that way. <laughs> it's like you always have to be sort of aware of it. Um, but yeah, that definitely came from um, that sort of school of thought of uh, minimalism in American fiction writing. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful because you say so much in a sentence, like just these are impactful statements. And I, I did the editing process play a big role in that as well. You know, like was it was it kind of your natural reaction to write things with much more detail and then and then go through and kind of take out that purple prose, as you said. Um, I feel that I didn't have too much editing from uh, my publisher. But so much of the developmental process that I went through with um, my editor, or not my editor, sorry, uh, my mentor, um, and then after I was done working with him, going through it myself, I think I just went through the draft so many times. Like, we have a practice of um, reading the work out loud. And so every two weeks, I would sit down, and he would just tell me to read, and then I would read the work. Um, and then anytime there was like a bump, like something that kind of pushed him out of the fictive dream that we were experiencing, he would stop me and we would figure out why that happened. So there was, it was pretty thorough just in the development of it. Um, and that was extremely, like, that was such an extremely helpful process. It feels tedious to read an entire novel aloud, but, um, it's so helpful in trying to understand like what happens when a sentence like bumps you out of the story yeah I I love that process did you have any kind of reading in front of your mentor and every kind of line that didn't feel like it was like spot on must have been I would have I've got I think I feel a little bit anxious thinking about reading (laughs) reading my work aloud in front of someone or you know in that kind of sense yeah it was good though because I think maybe 
I don't know, Tom, like Thomas Sandler, he had a really great way of just making you feel sort of like safe to make those kinds of mistakes. It was sort of like a laboratory feel, which was nice, you know. Yeah, that's great. How, how, yeah. did, you, how did you find the, um, the mentoring process? How did you find Tom? And So he, um, he used to run this workshop at Portland, Oregon called the Dangerous Writing Workshop. Um, he ran it for a long time, like several decades. And actually... Um, there were a lot of writers that were part of that workshop, like Chuck Palniak, who wrote Fight Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, and um, so that's actually how I found him, because I was a fan of Chuck Palniak's, and I was trying to research, like, whether or not I should get an MFA, um, and it didn't seem like it was something that was going to be possible for me, so... Um, I found the Dangerous Writing Workshop in, I think, about 2013. I flew to Portland for a weekend and attended. And then after that, um, I was able to continue working with Tom for several years after. So that was how I found that. And I, I also encourage writers who, if there's a writer that you do enjoy, whose work you really look up to, it never hurts to reach out to them and ask them, you know, if maybe they want to do like a manuscript critique or if they teach workshops, a lot of writers do. Um, so I don't know. I think I used to feel very afraid of reaching out to writers whose work I really adored. Like I get really starstruck, but the more, the longer that I've been writing, the more I realize that like they're, you know, writers are just, they're like everyone else. You know, they love hearing when someone connects with their work. Um, and they're oftentimes they are doing things like, like editing and willing to work with students um, and that sort of thing too. So for sure, for sure, great tip. Um, so let's get back to the novel. So, so, so much of animals eat each other seems to me to be about identity. You know, like um, she's obviously left school. She's like figuring out who she is and you know how she de- how she defines herself, where she's looking for imp- approval, and you know what we kind of as humans need and desire from other people to feel whole. Um, also, you know, obviously women. We're kind of taught to define ourselves through relationships and through people mm-hmm. desiring us, perhaps. Um, and in the book, you've taken the decision not to give your narrator a name other than the name that she's given by Matt and Frankie, the couple that she enters into the relationship with. I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about about that decision and about your exploration of identity within the novel. Sure. Um, yeah, I really wanted the narrator to sort of function as a mirror, like, for people who read the book. Like, like I talked earlier about how I really tried to write without any sort of editorializing or judgment towards any of the characters because um, I felt as long as I could remain as neutral as possible and just present the story, um, that people would find, like, what they wanted to find in Lilith specifically. And in the book, she functions that way, too. Like, she sort of acts and reflects um, all of the problems that exist within Matt and Frankie's relationship with each other simply by her just showing up. You know, she, um, she just kind of shows up in their world and reveals sort of all of the cracks that exist between the two of them. Um, I think a lot of times that women's bodies are, are sort of used this way, like society tends to project their desires onto women's bodies. Um, you know, they project their ideals for what they hope, you know, society looks like. Um, and this happens all the time, you know, with, with pregnant women, with, um, 
older women with younger women. It's just like every woman's body in whatever stage that it's in becomes this screen for what people desire most from society. Um, and so that was sort of my purpose in keeping her unnamed and then having her named by these characters. You know, she is sort of like an every woman in my, um, in my mind. Um, and she just does kind of become this perfect screen for them to project these desires and expectations onto. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you find that kind of writing without judgment of your characters difficult or how, how did that work in terms of your character development for the novel? Were you, you know, were you just very much sitting down and writing or what did you, did you kind of have the aims of, you know, mirroring people's desires through the character before you set out to write it? I honestly think it was probably more of an organic process that spawned as I was writing the book. Um, there's this craft book um, that I've been reading recently called The Half Known World, and it actually it gave me a lot of epiphanies about writing where um, it's good to, like, I think it's good to plan, but um, I did realize that, you know, if I had overplanned the characters and went in with um, a specific idea of what I was trying to complete, I wouldn't have come to these sort of magical epiphanies that do occur in fiction that allow like for these stories to unfold in like really unexpected ways. Mm. And um, for me, I had set out with a concept, and the concept was, you know, this girl who does enter into this relationship with these people and she explores these power dynamics. Like it did set up with that purpose, but the not having her named um, initially and then having her named by this couple um, that really did come about sort of organically. And I'm really pleased. Like sometimes these things just kind of pop out and you have to go with it, you know, mm. And they, don't, and they don't often come until you're in it. And then those ideas, that, 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 those sort of magical moments of moments of inspiration, uh, you know, you've got, to, you've got to make room for those magic moments. Yeah, definitely. That's what I think. Um, so another, like, I mean, the whole book is striking, but another part of it that really um, struck me was how this kind of insatiable need of the protagonist to find and consume things that, either make her feel something or not feel something, you know, via sex, not just with Matt and Frankie, but with her friend, um, Jenny, and mm. also her boss, but also via drinking and drugs. Um, can you, yeah, can you talk a little bit about your exploration of consumption within the novel? Sure. Um, well, part of it was because I feel like, I'm like, this is a really good question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of the reasons why I wanted to explore it was because um, like opiate use in the United States is sort of at this peak crisis moment mm. um, and I really wanted to explore what that experience was like for a younger person like, she's not necessarily like addicted to opiates but she's definitely avoidant of her real life and feels really disconnected from things um, and it's really sort of encompasses the, the story of what it's like to be a teenager or a young person um, in this sort of stage of late capitalism where her parents were boomers and the boomers had always expounded these ideals of like, you can be whatever you want. You can, you, as long as you work for it and that sort of thing. And she's living in this reality where like, that's not actually the case. 
So there's this mismatch of, you know, her ideals and what she's trying to strive for. And because of that mismatch, you know, she feels sort of aimless um, and has, like, no guidance of where to go next. So because the future feels so bleak for her, it's very easy for her to turn to um, trying to fill this void through sex, which is, like, wanting connection with other people, but then also through feeling disconnected to other people, which is through drug use. Let's talk a little bit about how you portrayed her kind of inner journey. Um, because, I mean, the, sto- the story is very, you know, there's very much what she's doing in her outer life and what she's doing to kind of get out of her head, like, like you just said. Um, but it's, also, it's also first person, and there are moments of introspection and, these, and reflection and humour and, like, you know, these sentences, like I mentioned earlier, that convey the emotion behind the sentiment kind of very subtly, you know, and that sentiment is often pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about how you balanced her internal life and external life within within the book? Yeah, um, craft-wise, that's a really good question. Craft-wise, um, I always try to, if there are moments of transition, um, sometimes it just feels right to have the narrator pull back um, and give us a little bit of that, like, that, Overvoiced narrative about their lives. I try to find where those open moments are, like when it seems, you know, like a good um, time to add that in. So, for as far as like balancing that way, it was really just about trying to feel out. Like sometimes you read a scene and it just feels a little flat. Like sometimes when you're reading, you're like, where, where is this character? Like you, you feel like a little tugging that wants you to know them more and so whenever I felt those moments I would just try to go um internal um and try to keep the weight on the page like how much space that took up yeah I just try to make sure that it didn't take up too much space you know what I mean like I think sometimes you risk having too much internal world for sure for sure (laughs) did you find like because like with in terms of that you know when you're trying not to when you're trying to make sure that you're 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 writing her in a way that you're not judging her. Did mm-hmm. you did you find that did you you know when you're trying to portray her kind of internal thoughts and stuff like that was that a struggle? Like, you know like if because putting those kind of ideas in her head if you're trying to write a character without any did you find that that tricky? Yeah, um, I feel actually it's interesting you say that. I kind of feel like as a person I'm pretty non-judgmental about people from like all walks of life um I mean um I think it's just in order to write something like that you have to come from a place of empathy like for me the idea of like spiritual pain or pain that people experience at all um is a very although it feels very lonely and is a very singular experience at the same time it's like the one thing that all people feel is pain you know um, and so because of that, because pain is such a universal experience, um, like the outer dressing is what makes the character different. Like if you're like, how can I connect with this character that may be a different gender than me, that comes from a different financial background, that um, is experiencing things I've never had or lost that I've never had. For me, the truth is, is that like pain is something that we all feel. And so as long as you, if you have a hard time getting into a character or you find yourself too judgmental when writing them, if you can just like think of a moment when you felt that kind of pain mm. and you can 
sort of crowd around that feeling in your work, you can extrapolate that to have empathy for a character that is not like you or that has had experiences that you've never had or is making mistakes that you might judge as a person. Um, because, I mean, essentially as people like us walking around, we're all flawed characters, sure. you know. So if you can accept and inhabit that, then you can sort of, like, live in the empathy it takes to be able to write a character that, you know, maybe is consistently making bad mistakes, and you just watch this person consistently make these bad mistakes, you know, so. So a really great way of thinking about it, you know, like, think, writing it from a place of empathy rather than being like, this is a character with this, and also, you know, like, not not putting your characters in a box, you know, like like you say, everyone's flawed, everyone's kind of got nuances of being good and bad you know like and in some ways they're you know they're making good decisions and in some ways they're making bad decisions and because they're human so if, you, if you're writing yeah. it one way or the other too much it's maybe not realistic yeah you know every character has to have a flaw um or some flaws or maybe is very flawed like uh uh like if you like writing about unlikable characters which I I kind of do mm -hmm. um but at the same time too you know like everybody also they have this chance for goodness in them like even if you're writing say you're writing something that's more speculative like sci-fi and you have like a villain in your story even that villain like has to have some feeling that what they're doing is good that's what makes a villain complex mm -hmm. and even maybe even more scary than if they were just a regular bad guy you know for sure. Did you, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but did you watch Joker? No, I have not it's, yet. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a really interesting take on on the kind of bad guy. And obviously it's an origin story, but, you know, it kind of, it, it gives you that sympathy for someone that, you know, you've always just thought of as evil. But then when you see this kind of, the stages that got him to where he where he is as we know him as the Joker, like it was, I thought it was very well written. Yeah, I'd like to see it. I, I'm thinking specifically too, like um, Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones. Like he starts off, he's this horrible, disgusting person, and then at the last season, he's making some really hard, almost noble choices about you know the people in his life, and you get to see that sort of when you get to see that sort of arc in a character, um, you know, it's really satisfying for the viewer or for the reader. So for sure, and also you know it, it shows that someone doesn't need to just be one way forever, mm -hmm. you know? Their circumstances can mean that they're a certain way at a certain point in their life, but that can obviously change over time and through experiences and, you know, that, that kind of thing. I haven't watched Game of Thrones, so no. <laughs> I really need to get on, get with the programme. <laughs> um, so your protagonist is, she's only 19, and, so, mm. and, you know, when I was reading kind of the, the stuff, the sort of bump that's out there about the book, you know, a lot of them, a lot of things that I read were calling it a coming of age tale. Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of coming of age tales are quite joyous and life affirming and, you know, but obviously a lot of them aren't as well. What was, what was your approach to kind of capturing this specific moment in a young American woman's life? You know, did you, yeah. did you have that idea of it being a coming of age tale while you were writing it? You know, while I was writing it, I wasn't thinking about that. Um, I did have one friend who actually called the novel an anti-Buildings Roman, like the opposite of a kind of book. And I actually really liked that because, you know, it's kind of true that in the book, she doesn't change much. The ending is um, 
sort of open to interpretation, like however, uh, you know, you want to like read where she comes to, where she lands after everything that's happened. Um, and that part, like her maybe not changing much was something that I did want to do on purpose. I wanted it to feel realistic because, um, especially like when you're that young or you have someone who is that mired in, um, avoiding their life through, using drugs a lot of times they have to make those bad decisions and they don't change for a very long time like it takes a long time for a person to break through um, addictive behaviors and so um so that part itself was on purpose but I think as far as the coming of age story goes I simply wanted to write a book that I thought my 19 year old self would want to read um I I didn't necessarily think of it in terms of, like, coming of age, but, I mean, it can be seen that way if that's how people like to read it, so. (laughs) What do you you think about, kind of, the idea of writing, you know, of setting out on a writing journey thinking, right, this is going to be this? Do Do you think that's a help or a hindrance to writers? I think it's good to have a really clear goal of what you want in mind, um, but don't, don't close yourself off to opportunity, um, you know, like I was talking about that idea of the half known world and letting those epiphanies in your writing happen. Like if something does occur to you like that, it's okay to try and follow that path and see what happens. You might end up with something way better than your original intention, you know, but it's good to have a goal. Like it's good to like, even with characters, like as writers, it's good for us to clearly know where we want to go because that can guide us, you know, but sometimes things change and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, you've got to have that kind of, like, flexibility in there to sort of see when it needs to go in a different direction or when it might be fun to take it in a different direction that's maybe more interesting or just, yeah, a bit of flexibility. Let's, let's, while you kind of mentioned it, I'm obviously not going to give anything away, but the, the ending was something that I really enjoyed about it, you know, that kind of, that sort of open-ended idea that could have been interpreted in lots of different ways. And then how did you, how did you find mm. the process of writing the ending? You know, did you, did you know that that was kind of where you were going to take it as you were writing it? Or was the, was that something that, that you allowed for that, was, that revealed itself halfway through? I actually had no idea how I was going to end it. <laughs> um, and so um, my editor at Desink was, she was asking, me like my publisher she was asking me for an ending and I was just like I don't know I don't know so I just I like wrote and tried a few different scenes until I kind of had this feeling that where it ended up was what I wanted to do um so that was really yeah just a process of experimenting until something felt right Oh my goodness, you should release those other endings as like <laughs> alternate yeah. endings. Alternative endings. But I do have to say though, I'm working on um a different novel right now, and for this novel, I did know. I knew the beginning and I knew the ending. And the whole process was just filling everything in between. So, you know, it, I think there's something to be said for just letting it's different every time, you know, it's always hard. And it's different every time, I think, when it comes to writing books. Yeah, for sure. There's um, the, quite a lot of the authors that I interview or that come to the events and stuff, many of them know the beginning and the end, and then they, they, the process is just filling in the, 
that seems to be more common as a, as a process rather than the writing towards an ending that you're not sure about. Yeah. Yeah. How have you found, which one have you found more enjoyable? That's a good question. Um, I mean, the process of working uh, with my mentors through Animals Eat Each Other was really amazing. I wish I still had that. And so that part was enjoyable, like kind of working with a person on the book. This second novel I've written um, completely by myself, but it actually um, it happened a lot faster. Like I wrote the first draft in like 11 weeks. Wow. Whereas the first draft of Animals took me like a couple of years. And again, that was because, you know, I sit down and I, was, I sat down and I was like, okay, this is my goal. And so I sat down every day um, for about three months and just wanted to start it from beginning to end and because I knew the ending and I had my goal in mind but I let myself be flexible about all this stuff in between um I just kind of like bang this out it wasn't a perfect drafter you know I still needed a lot of work um but the idea that I could do something like that in that small amount of time in comparison to how long the first book took me was really it really like shocked me at like what I personally felt capable of um, and I mean, it's absolutely possible for anyone to do it. Like if I can do it, I think anyone can do that. But having a complete draft, like already finished and go, you know, and then having to go back and like make changes and revisions and stuff, um, that has been really great. Like it kind of feels less daunting yeah. knowing that I already have this, this rough first draft. Like revising is like the fun Part. It's like taking a paintbrush and going through with brush strokes and making everything more sharp and clear and all that stuff. So that's the fun part to me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it's like the, uh, there's something in that, isn't there? Like you know, like it feels like people with like a first book, you know, it comes out in drips and drabs, and maybe it's because you're teaching yourself to write or that it's okay mm-hmm. to kind of like just write whatever and then come back to it later. Like there's something there's something about like the first one seems to be about really like you know, it bleeding out of you, like really yeah. slowly and like, so you suffer through it. And then, you know, and then you, over the course of that, you can then establish how to do it in a way that works for you in a, in a speedier fashion. Although I say that I'm working on my second book and it is, it's not coming out easy. So <laughs> It's tough. It's really tough. Um, I know. And I mean, even now doing revisions and stuff, it's still not easy. Like sometimes I look at it and I'm just like questioning every sentence. Like I'm like, is that a good sentence? Is that a good sentence? I don't know anymore. <laughs> and like, so. I'm, looking, I'm looking for the meaning in that sentence, and then the sentences start, start to like lose meaning, and you're like, "What the hell is this?" But I, yeah. I suppose that's part of it. Can you tell? Can you let us in on any of the details of the second novel? I don't want to talk about it yet. I have a superstition that I'm afraid if I talk about it, that like I'll lose the excitement for it until it's completely finished. So cool, man. I it. fully respect that. I fully respect that. No worries. I'm, I am excited to read it, though. I will definitely be, be keeping yeah. an eye out for it. So um, sex and drugs, as we've said a million times already in this interview, <laughs> plays a, a big role in the book. And you write about them so expertly. And, you know, there's, there's nothing. It's just so kind of like, a, you know, matter of factly, you know, there's no glorifying of it or anything like that. It's just like a very um realistic portrayal and you know it's can you talk about your approach to writing sex and drugs you know so many writers want to feed those elements into their work but then it can often seem like you know heavy-handed or yeah have you got any tips for how to write them both well and yeah if you can talk about your approach to them as well that'd be great 
Yeah. So for writing sex, um, my big, <clears throat> my two big things are that I try not to use any like porny type language. Um, I think erotica is totally fine. I'm not saying that it's bad. Um, and it might even be good just for people who are trying to learn how to write about sex to read, to get a baseline of what feels like too much and what doesn't. Um, and maybe some, actually maybe some other writers can use that type of language and they are successful for me. I'm just saying like, this is what works for me. Um, but I try not to use any like directly porny language because sometimes I find like the words of our body parts to feel too clinical in the English language. Mm. Um, even our slang words just don't feel sexy to me. So I really, I really tried to focus on the emotional, um, or physical sensation that occurs between people in sex. Um, so it's really like a mental thing. And, um, for writing about drugs, I guess it's sort of somewhat the same It's trying to focus on like the more emotional or physical aspects of doing it, like trying to describe that. Sometimes one thing that really works too with doing drugs, it's hard to describe an experience to someone who's like never taken a specific drug before because those feelings can be so internal. But one thing that works is using a touchstone experience and then trying to connect it to what it's like to take the drug. Um, I'm trying to think of like a really good example. I just read this really good article written by this writer, Craig Clevenger. And one example he uses is like, you know, the feeling of like waking up late in the morning and then you realize that you're late for work because like the sun is sort of rising and you haven't gotten ready yet and your alarm didn't go off. And so you like panic and you reach for your phone, it's like, say it's like 6.30 in the morning, and you're supposed to be there at like 6.45 or something, you reach for your phone, and you look at the time, um, and it's 6.30, but then you realize that it's actually Sunday, it's not Monday, so then you can relax, and then you just like drift back off to sleep, he was like, that's what taking Vicodin is like, so like, just that experience of that, is that there's that touchstone experience of something that most people have experienced, and then that relaxing feeling, like, he's trying to describe, like, this is what taking a drug is like, you know? And um, I just thought that was so brilliant, like, just trying to connect it to, you know, something that is common so you can pull the reader through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's such good advice. Such great advice. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, like, hearing you speak about writing, it's, it's like, it's very interesting. It seems like you've got a lot of insight and you've obviously studied your craft and stuff. I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about your writing journey, like, how you came to it and, like, you know, were, were you, were you, a, did you write poetry or what, where, yeah, where did it all start? Sure, yeah, I wrote a lot of poetry in high school. Um, I think I'd always been sort of writing in some form, probably once I hit, like, my teenage years. Um, and I wrote really bad poetry for a long time, <laughs> but it wasn't until 2012, I think, that I realized that you could get published for creative writing. I mean, I think I knew it, but it was more like I had no idea how to go about that process. You know, after high school, I went to school for journalism, which was like 2005 to 2010, just about. So I wasn't even really thinking about pursuing creative writing as a career or anything like that. It was more just um, I wanted to like work in news. But in 2012, I started wanting to take writing 
me more seriously and like learn how to write fiction. It was tough because coming from a journalistic background, you're really taught to like keep the detail out. And I guess maybe it has helped me in a way because it teaches you to be really objective of your subjects, you know? Yeah. And once I started seeking out fiction, I took a few workshops at this local nonprofit in my city. Um, and then I went to the dangerous writing workshop that like I spoke about. And then um, I agonized over whether or not I should apply for a master's of fine arts in creative writing for like five years. I still wonder sometimes if I should apply. Yeah. <laughs> like I think once a year I'm like, should I go to school for this? I don't know. But at the same time, um, the thing that I think that's helped me the most is just reading other writers, reading wide, reading independent books. Like reading indie books has been so inspiring because – they often are experimental. They don't always follow like this traditional, you know, plot that we see everywhere. And um, they often have like a great uh, subversive or transgressive or just unique experiences that um, are really inspiring and unusual and you know, like not joyous but like interesting. Reading has been, I think, the biggest um, help me and just thinking about like why when I read something and it moves me I really try to think about like why that's effective you know do you think that when you're when you're reading you're always reading it with a writer's eyes yeah, yeah. I think so um like I definitely I'm trying to remember like the last time I read a book and I wasn't like analyzing it as I was reading I don't know <laughs> I hear that <laughs> yeah even when I'm watching TV, I think I'm analyzing the characters and, like, the dialogue, and I'm just like, how does this work? Oh, this is really interesting. I'll have to log that away and try it in my work or something like that. Yes, there's definitely something about kind of the pacing of watching TV as well that I think helps with writing a little bit, you know? Like, cause, and, and also how they convey so much with not through the dialogue. I think that's quite an interesting yeah. balance to watch when you're watching TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it just means that any kind of downtime you're just analyzing everything around you for how it can help your writing <laughs> yeah yeah but that's but that's good though do you do you think yeah when you're reading when you're actually in the process of writing say for example when you were in that three-month process of writing your first draft of the second novel were you mm -hmm. reading then or is that a point when you're like you know what this is about my book um I was reading but I'm trying to remember what books exactly because it went by so fast um, I definitely am one of those people that, like, if I do get stuck, I will pick up a book that I've read, like, a million times before um, and just start reading it. So I definitely don't worry too much about whether or not, like, I know some writers say they don't like to read while they're writing because they're worried about emulating voice or something like that. I don't think I've ever really worried about that. Um, and reading always helps me get stuck out of a rut. Like, if I ever sit down at the page and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing then, um, yeah, I just pick up a book that of a writer that I really love that I've read like a bunch of times before, and I just kind of think about their sentences and what they're saying, and that will usually help me kick something off. Yeah, that kickstarts the creative juices. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talking about, you know, you mentioned these independent publishers, and, um, you know, you're, you're so right that I think that you know, a lot of the stories that get told via books that are published by independent publishers would perhaps be... Um, disregarded as maybe not commercial enough for mm. you know for, for the big publishers that you know have got huge budgets and all that kind of jazz 
Um, yeah. And 404 Inc, someone that's who you've published your book with in the UK, and they're someone yeah. that like they've published some really interesting stuff. And um, you know, the UK has got loads of interesting independent publishers now that are yeah really kind of winning awards and and absolutely bossing it. Can you yeah? Can you talk a little bit about your experience working with them? 404 Inc has been amazing. I mean, they they work so hard for their authors and they really work to forge a relationship with you. Um, like I just, I went over there to do my UK tour and was just spending time with them. And by the time I left, I really felt like I was leaving behind close friends, you know, um, you can tell that they work really hard to like build a community of people around them in the literary, um, landscape out there. They, I'm pretty sure they volunteer. There's, I don't know, there's just so much that they're doing. Um, and uh, publicity, like working with publicity with them was a breeze. Um, they have real, they had really great ideas. They're just so enthusiastic about uh, their authors. Like it's, it's really, really nice. Um, I know sometimes it's really hard for an independent press to, like they're often working on, you know, sometimes shoestring budgets. Um, with not a lot of staff, you know, sometimes they're putting in their own free time or, you know, their own money even just to work. And they can, a lot of times they could probably feel like overworked and that sort of thing. But like 404 Inc. is doing a really great job. So it's been a wonderful experience. Good. I'm so pleased to hear that. I'm so pleased. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, everything that they produce, I'm, I'm interested in. So I'll, I'll keep my eye on them. Well, I think, I think that's everything. I think thank you so much for, um, yeah, sharing your writing journey with us. And, um, and the book is fantastic. Like, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I recommend everyone to read it. Um, and best of luck with your, um, with your second novel. Thank you very much. Hey champs, hope you enjoyed the podcast. And um, just to let you know, I'm still offering some discounts on mentoring and manuscript shakedowns just in honour of the new year and of you guys achieving your goals in 2020, your writing goals. So yeah, head over to the website to check them out or drop me an email at oi at the to discuss your potential mentoring. Cheers. Bye-bye.